Good evening, church family. It's great to be here tonight and uh, to share God's word with you. Um, this is obviously definitely different um, in a room by myself, but I'm, I'm thankful still for the opportunity to, to study. Um, it's been a good study, hasn't it? Um, just uh, the resurrection hope and imperfect timing for Easter. Um, so obviously yeah, our theme for this chapter has been the resurrection hope. And tonight we're gonna look at how the resurrection brings us hope for the end that is sure to come. So Paul's been instructing, he's been pouring his heart out. He's even been fighting for these people to believe in Christ's physical bodily resurrection. He's not wanting them just to believe that it occurred, that it was an actual factual historical event, but he's wanting them to place their faith in its saving power. Through the resurrection, Christ has the power to save us and through his resurrection, Christ has the power to keep us. Everything that may come up in our lives that we're going to walk through in this life, it can have hope because of Christ's resurrection. And why is that? Because we know that ultimately the enemies of sin and death have and will be defeated. So lately, more than any other time that I can, that I can imagine, we have, we have death at the forefront of our minds, don't we? It's interesting to see how different people respond to the reality of death in different ways, how, it, how it's feared. And death to us as, as humans on earth, it's just, it's such a final thing. It's, and it's a sure thing that's gonna happen. Yet many times we don't wanna think about it. We just wanna kind of push it to the side or suppress it. We wanna live like we're never gonna die, like we have endless days, endless opportunities. Like there's no, death is one thing that everyone has in common. And it is a direct result of sin. We see this in, in verse 22 here in 1 Corinthians 15 that in Adam, we all die. We know that the wages of sin is death. And death, it really is the opposite of God, isn't it? We know that, that in Christ is, is life and it is in hope. God is perfect. And death is everything opposite of what God really is. I hope that through this pandemic, through this worldwide sickness, that it gets us to realize how fragile our lives really are, how our time here isn't forever. We can become so saturated with our, with our daily routines and our lives and our hobbies and the things that drives us that we just totally forget about this reality of God and our need for Him. We become so, so comfortable and so secure in our, in our technology, in our society, that we just, we just forget about God. We make ourselves our own gods. And I hope that through, through all this, through this time, that it would cause us to realize that our time here is just a vapor. It's fragile and we desperately need Christ's resurrection hope for today and for the end. So Christ, he's provided such a great hope, hasn't he? Pastor Justin talked a couple weeks ago about the importance of the resurrection, how if Christ was not raised, then we have no hope in this life. We have no hope in death. Those that, are, those that have died have no hope, and we're all just wasting our time if we're trying to follow after the Bible. But the awesome truth is that Christ was raised. He's won the victory, and we have hope in our lives and we have hope in death. Christ being raised 
proves that he really was who he said he was, that God has accepted his sacrifice and that he does have power over death. No longer do we have to fear death and feel as if it's uncertain if we trust in Christ. He's gone before us. This passage says that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's made the way. He's gone before us and now he's calling us unto himself and he offers us eternal life to those who would follow him. We're gonna look tonight at our resurrection hope that we have for the end of time. How Christ will make his children alive again and complete this resurrection. We're gonna notice the, the harmony of the Trinity and we're gonna dive into Christ's ultimate victory over the enemies of sin and death. We have such a rich passage here before us in this study. And um, I'm excited to get into these verses and just kind of go through it line by line. So our text is um, verses 23 through 28. Just for some context, I want to start in verse 20. And I'll read that now. It says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, and when he abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put, in all, things in, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says... All things are put in subjection. It is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Let's pray real quick. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this passage. I thank you for your word. I just thank you for the resurrection hope that you offer to us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be with this time as we go through these verses. Lord, that we would see the victory that you offer and just the security that we have in the end. I pray, Lord, you guide my words and, Lord, that I would just speak the truth and, Lord, that you would just bless your word and speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we're going to notice here is, is the resurrection order. That's where Paul starts out here. He's giving us a look into the things that are going to come into, into, he's giving us this look in relation to what had already happened. It still perpetuates the theme that if Christ isn't raised, then we're still dead in sin and there's no hope for us. Because a dead man can't do anything for himself to make himself alive again, can he? It's final. It's hopeless. But no longer are we in this hopeless state. Christ has been raised. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the foundation of our hope and the one that we can look to in faith for this next resurrection. He's been raised so that now those who are his at his coming can likewise be raised at that appointed time. We have no hope of resurrection without him. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can earn that will give us this resurrection except for Christ. But look at verse 24, that first phrase there. It says, then comes the end. This is still going along with the order. And what I just noticed here is just, is God's sovereignty, how he has all this plans out. He knows the end. He's in full control at all times and everything is going as he wills. The end mentioned here is, is the ultimate goal of Christ's work. It's the completion of it. 
is what will be defined here in these next verses. It's, it's the total annihilation of God's enemies and then resulting with perfect peace and harmony, fellowship with God, how everything will be subject to God just as it was originally designed for. This isn't really a, a third event, but more of a sum of the, it's the natural result of the resurrection. So first we see that Christ was raised and then at his coming, those that are his will be raised. And now Paul goes on to explain the things, how this triggers the end and the events that follow. So the next thing that we're going to look at is how Jesus hands over the kingdom. So once Christ has returned, once he receives the bride, he defeats sin and death. He completes this resurrection. He's now totally victorious over sin and death. He's accomplished this mission that he set out to do. And what does Christ do now? He hands it all over back to God. Christ's function in the Trinity, we see is constantly its submission to God the Father and to do his will, to carry it out. In order to hand over this kingdom, it says here in this verse that he must abolish all rule, all authority, and power. This is, this is everything that's contrary to God that's been against him, everything that's rebelling against God. It says that Christ must reign until all his enemies are put underneath his feet, till he is total king of everything. So now, through this passage, I know you've already noticed this, but we got a, we got a lot of pronouns here, a lot of, a lot of hymns and his's. So we need to make sure that, we, that we're correctly interpreting this, that we got the right antecedents and we're seeing what, what's actually being referenced here. Right here, it's talking about God putting, it's putting God's enemies under Jesus' feet so that he can, in turn, hand everything back over to God the Father. And the functionality of the Trinity is just on full display right here. It says, but Christ must reign. He must put all enemies under his feet. Christ is reigning now, and he's waging a war against sin and against death. It's obvious in our society, though, that, that people aren't following after God. It's not, it's not even close. God's ways are mocked. His existence is denied. And his influence is, is suppressed. The world naturally, without any of God's intervention, is going to go totally opposite of the direction that God wants. So then how do, we, how do we see that God is reigning and ruling over the world today when we're just surrounded by all this sin? How is he fighting? How is he having the victory? But what we have to remember here is that, that we're not in the end yet. Death is still around us. Christ's work is not yet finished, but we know that it will be soon when he returns. And only those that are his will be spared from this eternal death. When thinking about Jesus defeating God's enemies, I can't help but to think of um, Romans 5, 8 and, and 5, 10. And I encourage you all to turn to this passage, Romans 5. And we'll read verses 6 through 10. It says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So sinners are God's enemies. 
Jesus is on this mission to defeat God's enemies. But in his love, he's made a way for us to be separated from our sin, to be separated from that punishment and to have a right standing with him. Through Christ's death and through his resurrection, sin is defeated in us and we're set free. God's path to victory is not only of just, just destruction, but he's made a way of rescue out of his love. What a great love he has for us, for people that are needy and helpless, that cannot do it for ourselves. God is getting the victory over sin by freeing his people from its power and from its punishment. God's still sanctifying today. He's still saving today. He's still defeating sin. He's defeating its rule. He's defeating its authority, and he's defeating its power. Next thing I want to see is how Jesus conquers all, and we'll look at verse 25. It says, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Now, this is a, a direct reference back to Psalm 110, verse 1. And, and I'll read that for you here. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Notice the, the surety in God's victory here. God's not, he's not worried. He's not sitting up there trying to come up with a plan. Oh, what are we going to do now? He's just waiting for the right time. Christ's sacrifice and resurrection are complete, but the work here on earth isn't, isn't finished yet. As it says here in verse 26, death is, is the last enemy to be defeated. Again, this is going to happen upon Christ's return, when all that are his are raised. These events will happen just as the Bible states, and we can be sure of that. Just a, just a quick thought that I had while I was doing my study in this. It seems to me that we look, we look at the Bible as... It's kind of like ancient history, don't we? It's stuff, that's, it's stuff that's already happened, the stuff that's way in the past, and then there's just a little bit in Revelation that's going to happen later. We, we refer to this back as, as Bible times. But church, we're living in Bible times. We're right here in the middle of this passage. That's where we're at today. God is actively working. Let's, be, let's live like that. Let's be passionate to see him work daily, to see him defeat sin in our lives and to rescue more sinners from this punishment and adding them to his kingdom. Let's be looking for Christ's return and our, and our resurrection. The next thing I want, to know is that I want us to notice is that God is above all. Look at verse 27. It says, For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. For when he says, All things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. So the first phrase of this verse is quoting Psalm chapter 8, verse 6. And it's, it's real interesting how all this ties together. Psalm 8, and I definitely encourage you all to read this later. It's a psalm recounting God's creation. It lists the, the different points in creation, and it praises God for his greatness and his wonder <clears throat> and his wisdom. David was just so in awe of God and his power and his might through creation that he was forced to see himself for who he really was a wretched sinner. But as a man, God had given him dominion over creation. This was the commandment given to Adam. But now Paul is pointing back here. He's tying all this in with a reference to Christ. Remember verse 21 and 20, 22, it says, in Adam we all die. But Christ has picked up 
where we failed. He picked up where Adam failed and where our race has failed. And he's won the victory with his resurrection. We can now have redemption through him. And it just begs the question, where are you? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Paul's explaining how God has given Christ dominion over this world. But unlike us, unlike Adam, he does it perfectly. He does it without sin. He's all powerful and he's ruling and reigning. And just like we heard in Pastor Cody's sermon the other day in Colossians 1.17, Christ has the preeminence and he's what holds this world together. The creation is subject to the creator. Whether we want to believe it or not, whether we want to live like it's true or not, we are subject to God. So now moving on to the second part of this verse, we're going to get into another group of these pronouns. So let's, let's kind of dissect this carefully. It says, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. It says, God has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. It says, but then when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he, that's God the Father, is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. Just Jesus. Jesus says this himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Notice what he says there at the beginning. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. <clears throat> so this is great insight again as to how the Trinity functions. It's just so perfect. What this is saying is that, that God the Father gave Jesus the task of redemption. He put everything in Jesus' path below him. He gave him total dominion over it. It was subject to him. But God never relinquished his authority. God the Son submits to God the Father in the Trinity and com- goes out to complete his will. This is why in the end Jesus will hand the kingdom back over to God the Father. He will have completed his mission of redemption. Paul says that in this verse that, that is evident. This was obvious. All this stuff, the scriptures had been pointing to this. Christ's life, everything was obvious. And he's fighting against these false teachers. God was still on his throne. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And he was able to become our sin payment for us as that perfect sacrifice and to give us this right standing with God through his resurrection. The next thing I want us to see is that God is and will be all in all. Let's look at verse 28. It says, when all things are subjected to him, that's God the Father, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that in God may be all in all. This is the whole purpose of it, so that God may be all in all. Now, there's a ton of facts that we can learn from this, but, but first, I just can't help but be, be overwhelmed with thankfulness and love for our Savior. He's so, he's so unlike any of us, just, just stuck in our selfish pride. He's perfectly giving, he's perfectly loving, and he's perfectly humble. I just, my mind automatically goes to um, Philippians 2. Verses 6 and 11, I want to read that for you all too. It says, this is talking about Jesus. It says, who, although he existed in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It says right there, equality with God, not a thing to, to be grasped. This was his status. Jesus was already there. He had nothing to strive for. He was equal with God. He had the ruling power over us. But what does he do? He comes down on our level. But not even that. He takes on the form of a servant. He lives a life of the lowest standards and a life of service to his creation. Those people that were his enemies. But not only that, he takes that even a step further and submits to God's redemptive plan, to God's redemptive plan as our sacrifice. He's dying a death that he didn't deserve to die after a life of service to people that he already had dominion over and that were his enemies. Now that's humility. Because of all this, it says here that, that God's gonna highly exalt him. That everyone will give, give Christ the glory that he truly deserves. But what we see here in our passage here in 1 Corinthians, that Christ is gonna take all this and he's gonna lay it all back down to God the Father. That's just such an example of humility and servitude. It's one, one that we, we can barely comprehend. Jesus, he had everything in creation, everything that our minds could possibly wrap around, everything we could think of was his. It is his. And he's, after having total victory over this, he's just gonna lay it down. It seems kind of silly how we wanna hold on to our things here, don't we? It's just such an example of humility. And it was everything in Jesus' life was just a reflection of this. Every action in his life was driven by a passion to serve God. He was so consumed with God's glory. And if, and if he was that consumed with God's glory, shouldn't we? I mean, look at, look at where we are in this picture, right? With Christ having everything. And what are we? We're just a speck of dust that just exists for a vapor of time. And we're just on this little rock that's just circling this little gas ball out of trillions of other gas balls that are out there. And all of this was just spoken into existence by God. That's where we're at. That's how small we are. But we think that we want to turn around and we want to tell God that we know better for our lives. We don't want to submit to him. Christ had all of that. He had all of that in his hands, total victory, and he's gonna lay it down. We're nothing, and Christ is everything. We must surrender to God. When you see God for who he is, and then you see yourself for who you are, there's, there's no answer but the obvious. He deserves everything that we have. So as we close, let's just be reminded of why Christ is doing all this. This whole plan of redemption is so that God may be all in all. 
There's just something that's, that's so peaceful about that phrase to me. Just that concept of, of full restoration, how God is in complete control of everything. Everything's made right in him. He gets all the glory that he truly deserves, and we have perfect fellowship with him the way that it was meant to be. So in conclusion, I just want to look at the, there's two main ideas that I kind of take away from this. The first one is, is assurance in Christ's sacrifice. We need to see and we need to believe that Christ's sacrifice was enough. That because of Christ and only in Christ can we have this resurrection hope. We can know that our, our victory, if we're in him, is already secured. We don't have to, we don't have to fear death that God is in, in full control. Now, we're still surrounded in this world of death, but he's in control, and we know that eventually it will be all brought to him. But with this, in this world of death, we know that there's still more kingdom work to be done. The second thing I want us to see is the humility of Christ as our example. We saw Christ's submission to God the Father. We even saw Christ's sacrifice and humility to his enemies. How can, we, how can we implement these things in our lives, having Christ as that perfect example? And just kind of do a little self-check. Where, where are you in all this? Do you, do you have this resurrection hope that we've been studying? If you, if you don't have this hope, then, then none of this other stuff matters. That's, that's the first thing. It's knowing God and following after him. And if you do have this hope, if you are following after God, are you resting confidently in him, even in the face of death, even in the face of your struggles that you go through? Trust Christ through all these things, through whatever may come, because we can know that no matter what happens, Christ has that victory secured. And secondly, how can you follow Christ's example of humility? God's deserving of everything that we have. But many times we, we fail in this area because we want to make ourselves that top priority. We want to hold on to this little bit of stuff that we have. Even though Christ is ruling and reigning over everything, we think we have some kind of control and we want to hold on to it. But a proper view of God is going to create a proper view of ourselves and create submission to it. So out of that humility that that will produce, we need to look to God and we need to submit to his leading. We need to submit to his glory. And when that comes, when that submission comes, then we can have a glimpse here on earth of what this fellowship is with him, this, that eternal fellowship, what it's gonna look like and how we can rest in the fullness of his resurrection hope. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for just the gospel, Lord, just for the hope that you've given to us, Lord, that no matter what we may face, Lord, in life, in death, and even in, this, in the future, God, we know that, Lord, that's stuff we, we have literally no control over, God, but we know you, God, and we know that your promises are here, and we can trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that for those who don't have this hope, Lord, that you would just show them your need for you, 
Lord, that they would turn from you, that they would stop trying to trust in, in themselves and their works and whatever they can they muster up to be a good person, Lord, and realize that's not enough, that only you as our perfect sacrifice is enough. I pray, Lord, for the believers that, that aren't resting in that, Lord, that are, that are uneasy, Lord, that are trying to just make sense of all this, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would all just, just rest in you, knowing that no matter what happens, Lord, that we have that hope secured in you. I thank you so much for your, your work that you did here on earth and that humility, Lord, that you just, you possess and that, Lord, just that passion for God's work. I pray, Lord, that that would be just our prime example every day, Lord, and that we would model our lives after that, Lord, that everything we do would be for your glory and for your kingdom, Lord. Help us to realize that you are waging a war against sin in our lives and in those around us, Lord, and that we would just be looking, Lord, for how you want to work in our lives and the lives of others. Lord, I thank you again for your word and this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I hope that was a blessing to y'all. I know it was for me. I hope y'all have a good week, and we'll see you on Sunday.